Hello and welcome to the Green Pole Podcast. I apologise for the lack of these recently, but uh, a few from the other side has now returned, and I'm delighted to be joined by Everton fan and correspondent for the Liverpool Echo, Joe Thomas. How are you doing today, Joe? Yeah, not too bad, Jesus. I'm probably similar to you, boosted by uh, results at the weekend, I think. Yeah, Monday mornings always feel better after a win on the weekend, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I think the nature of both our wins probably has us even more um, enthusiastic for the week ahead, I think, doesn't it, with you with the the, the, drama, the drama at your game and, and Everton being so comprehensive in, in their victory as well, probably uh, just adds a little bit to it for us. Yeah, against a very good Palace side as well. Yeah, it, it was. It, it, I wouldn't say it came as a massive surprise. Everton have got a performance like that in them and they hadn't been as bad as the results might have suggested in the three defeats going into that game. But Palace are such a dangerous side and, and they have such... Palace I almost see as a, as a team that probably where Everton want to get to that stage by you know the end of this season, beginning of the next season, where you feel like they're quite solid and they've got some really dangerous young players that you know proven themselves time and time again at the Premier League. But um, you know, so so there's a little bit of of a, of a fear that going into that game that that all might come to the fore and Everton could have a difficult game at a time when they really needed to pick up three points just to kind of offer a little bit of reassurance about the the direction of Frank Lampard's project, but. As it was, Everton just came out of the blocks, and, and intensity's been a problem for Everton for a couple of weeks. But they, you know, they they got at Palace right from the beginning, got an early goal, and they just never never took their foot off the pedal. To be honest, and, and you know, it was, it was it was quite quite exciting. To be honest, you know, Palace, despite being so, clearly such a good side, just never really had a sniff. You see, early goals in games can sort of go one of two ways: you either score early and control the rest of the game and win quite comfortably, or you can score too early and then find yourself sitting back too soon and then ultimately conceding a goal or two and not walking away with the three points that you probably should get. Um, yeah, and and that's kind of what happened a couple of weeks ago for Everton when they played Manchester United at home. They almost scored too early. They, they, you know, they come off the back of back-to-back wins, six unbeaten in the league, scored a, you know, Alex Wobie scored a stunner after five minutes to, to give Everton the lead and almost kind of, felt too easy and Everton sat back after that and made a few mistakes and got punished and that kind of set the tone for what was then you know, two difficult trips to, to Spurs and Newcastle. Yeah, and, uh, Spurs only lost their first home game of the season yesterday against ultimately Newcastle. Um, so they're two tricky games for any team to go to. Um, but ultimately, what have you made of Everton's start to the season so far under Lampard? Yeah, I've been relatively impressed, to be honest. I think that um, obviously, you know, most people will have seen, had some glimpses of, of where Everton were at the back end of last season. And, you know, it was a real relegation scare. You know, there, it, it was only the penultimate game of the season against Palace that, that Everton secured their Premier League status. And in those scenes, I'm sure everybody has, has, has seen. So, um yeah, there was a lot of work to do. And I think Frank Lampard, at the back end of last season, understood the nature of his squad. He had no option, really, other than to be pragmatic. You know, play five at the back, sit deep, invite pressure on onto the defence, hope that they can handle it, and then hit teams on the counter-attack. They were kind of the cards that he was dealt with as a as a result of the squad that he inherited and, and the injury situation that unfolded around him, as well as the, the desperate need for points. I think coming into this season... You know, he was always going to have a big job to do over the summer. And I think the Everton overhaul was always going to take more than one transfer window. 
Uh, there's only so much you can do in you know in in one window, and, and Everton had a lot to do. So the sort of question I think coming into the season was, well, how far could he take it? Uh, you know, just over the summer months, and you know, there were times during pre-season when things looked pretty worrying. You know, Everton went on pre-season tour to to America, and you know, middle of July they they got absolutely hammered by by an MLS team who, although we're in the middle of their season and therefore you know far more at the races and you know on top of match fitness and things like that, it was it was a really worrying time I think for 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 Everton. And I think after that, Frank Lampard was quite vocal in his his call for the need for reinforcements. And since then, I think Everton had I think Everton had a really sensible transfer window. And I think that's that's probably where Everton are at at the minute. And I think that's where a lot of fans are taking comfort from. The fact that okay, you know, they're not winning lots of games, they're not producing many performances where they're blowing teams away as they did against Palace on Saturday, but there actually looks like a strategy, both in terms of what's going on in the training ground, what's going on in the transfer market, how everything's playing out on the pitch. It looks like Fran Lampard has an idea about how he wants to play. And with his, you know, director of football and, and the board around him, it looks like everybody's at least pointed in the right direction and yeah, for so long that hasn't been the case at Everton. The you know, the fact that there does seem to be a strategy that makes sense there, I think, is a lot of comfort for for supporters that have just been used to the you know the drama of the last few years. So I think we've seen that this season so far. You know, progress will be slow at times and it won't always go in the right direction. But underlying the results, when you look at the performances, for the most part, there has been progress. The question has probably been for a lot of people watching the first twelve games of the season is how how quick is the progress being made and how quickly is it being made in comparison to the other teams that were in a relegation battle last season, the teams such as Fulham that came up and the teams that had bad summers and uh, you know, trying to fight to get a foothold into this season? Yeah. Um, so Lampard was uh, appointed as manager back in January, wasn't it? Yes. Um, first of all, how was he received from the Everton faithful? Um I'm particularly interested because he used to play for Chelsea and, you know, I don't like them. Weren't a big fan of his, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but I suppose, what, how far do you think he can take the club? Um, it sounds like he's got the back in, um, but do you think he can take you back to where you was sort of four or five years ago? Or is it sort of a, a steady job at the minute, get Everton to 10th, 9th, and then try and push on with a different manager from there? Well, he's got the goodwill to, you know, he's got the goodwill as a platform to, for anything that he wants to do at the minute. I think when he came in, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a, an unlikely fit in, mm. in some respects. And, you know, it wasn't quite clear how it was going to play out. Obviously, somebody, I think the, the first and foremost, obviously, Rafa Benitez was the manager that preceded him. And, and that was about as, as bad an appointment for a number of reasons as could really have been made at Everton, given his his success and his links with, with, with Liverpool. So it certainly couldn't have got any worse, um, particularly with the way it then played out under Benitez with you know an absolutely atrocious run of form. And, and whilst people are trying to rewrite the history books a little bit when you, you go on social media and things like that, you know, Lampard, albeit in coming in in January, he he inherited a side that was absolutely broken, um, you know, had no momentum and was really in a relegation death spiral. So there was always going to be an element of it getting worse before it got better. And luckily, he just about managed to help Everton stay up. In the process of doing so, you know, he, he excelled in two things. One was his man management. He, you know, he picked the players up off the floor and 
seemed to forge good relationships with key members of the dressing room, enough to get the fight out of them that was needed for Evan to survive. But what he also did was build a strong connection with the fans. You know, from the moment that he's got here, he seems to have understood the fan base. He seems to have been, you know, willing to, to integrate, understand their fears, understand their frustrations and try and deal with them. And uh, he's always been alive to the fans and, you know, what they want from this side. And also bearing in mind that the fans kind of took matters into their own hands at the back end of last season and played such a crucial role in getting behind the team and, and keeping them up. You know, Lampard was always very grateful for that and very vocal in his gratitude. It, it wasn't a case of coming out there and saying, oh, it's me and my tactics or my man management that have, that have kept this side up. He he gave the fans the credit where it was due. And in the process of that, you know, built the goodwill, which led to the scenes after the, the Crystal Palace win where everybody was celebrating together. So he went into the se- this season with a lot of goodwill because of that. And, you know, I think it was, it was quite interesting previewing the season because a lot of people from the outside looking in thought that he was under pressure immediately and had him down as among the most likely managers to be sacked first. And that was never really a sense that you felt from, you know, within the club, within the fan base, or, you know, when you're up here on on, on the front line, it was very much the kind of, you know, the, the mood from outside the club, inside the club. I think there was a willingness to give him time, obviously, you know, Everton need to make progress, but I think a lot of people understood the situation that he inherited was was a, was a poor one. Um, and the question now is obviously one: can he pick it up and go forward with it? And I think the positive there've been positive signs in that so far, but obviously it's still early days. And then two, like you say, how far he can go, and you know, probably you know there are a lot of external factors that have an impact in that. You know, it's not just about results, but also probably better luck with injuries. What happens in the January transfer window, and what happens with other sides around them? Because I think one of the things that I was trying to say to a lot of people during the the recent run of three defeats in three was that you know if if you looked around the Premier League, I mean as as well as all the the positive signs that you could see within the style of play, the transfers, what was going on behind the scenes under Frank Lampard, you know another sense of you got a sense of perspective by looking around the league and seeing the bottom half of the table really there aren't many sides there that are on a positive trajectory and have got everything going in the right place most of the teams there are issues with with form with consistency either we're scoring goals or we're keeping clean sheets or you know three of them are without managers so you know although the points and the positions within the table suggest everyone's quite close Everton I feel like a, a one of the teams one of the few teams within that group of of sides that actually things are kind of pointing in the right direction and the green shoots of recovery are there and it just needs a bit of time and patience and, and things will come good. Yeah. So f- for me, I always, I've always grown up and I've seen Everton as a, as a top eight side mm. you know, from the likes of David Moyes, who was fantastic for you. Um, Roberto Martinez, who I thought done a fantastic job as well. In recent years, for me, Everton do seem like a, a team that's not, lack an identity, but they're sort of falling off a little bit. Um, why are they not sort of achieving the heights that they was once doing sort of five, ten years ago? Well, um, I mean, obviously the, the Premier League's changed a lot in, in, in that period. You know, there's been fluctuations with who's got money and how it's spent. But, mm. you know, one of the things that Evan have done is they've probably been a little bit, yeah, they, they they got a lot of money when, when they got in you know, a majority shareholder. Um, Fired Mashiri came in you know, about six years ago and was happy to splash, the, happy for his managers to splash the cash in the transfer market. And um, but unfortunately, what happened is it wasn't really spent particularly wisely, and you kind of ended up in a vicious circle of 
the club lurching between manager to manager, sporting you know, director of football to director of football. And quite often what they didn't do was they didn't have everything aligned behind the scenes. So whereas you see someone like a Brentford or a Brighton, where it feels like the clubs run quite sensibly and the manager is, you know, the, the manager is, is 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 part of that, but he's he's only one part of that. So if if a manager goes, you can bring someone else, and the project is still going in the right direction because it's still got the same people steering it. You know, Everton didn't really do that. They they kind of they went big in the transfer market. They went impatient with managers, and there was not much logic between. You know, there wasn't there wasn't much of a kind of of a narrative that was spread through the different appointments of people. You know, at the tra- at Finch Farm and at, at Goodison Park. So, what you had is every time a new manager came in, he almost tried to rip everything up and start afresh. But you know, he, he did so with you know an expensive squad of signings that that almost didn't make sense. So you have a Frankenstein squad of lots of different managers and sport and director of footballs. Um, sign-ins and interests and influences, and no one can quite pick it up and carry on and take it forward. It's it's it became it became a, a circle that was just too difficult to to square really for a lot of people. And the inconsistency in the playing staff and personnel and the style and the culture just really almost took the club backwards rather than forwards. Yeah. So the the Ancelotti appointment um, when he brought in James Rodriguez, I think the general consensus from everyone outside of Everton thought, okay, well they mean business. <laughs> there was talks of them even, you know, being able to challenge for the top four. Um, I think Calvert Lewin started off the season on fire. You know, you looked like he was you was getting back to, you know, Moyes Martinez era top six. But Ancelotti left. Um, James Rodriguez. It seemed like he gave up. Was that a strange appointment for you in terms of Ancelotti? Was it one that sort of excited the fan base and thought, right, now we're going to get back to? Well, it's an exciting, it's an exciting appointment because obviously everything he, that he's done elsewhere and, and everything that he's gone on to do since then. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, you know, they, I mean, yeah, Everton have had bad luck. Yeah, they've they've made bad decisions, but they they have also had bad luck, I think. And you know, someone like Ancelotti coming in, and yeah, there there were there were exciting times, and it didn't all go particularly well necessarily. You know, I don't think anyone would argue you got everything right and. Yeah, that uh, haven't finished that season where they ultimately wanted to be. Um, but I think they were they were bad luck on two cents. One that was a, that was a season behind closed doors, really. So you know, some of the best footballers, some of the best talents that Everton have had over recent years, the fans didn't really get to see the benefit of. Um, so that was obviously a shame. But then also, you know, Real Madrid coming back in for Carlo Ancelotti, you know. I think people can understand as (laughs) as frustrating as it might have been. I think people can understand why, you know, he would go back to Real Madrid and obviously he's won the Champions League there since, you know, as well as domestic honours as well. So, you know, you kind of, there has been that element of sometimes when things, when a bit of momentum might have been gathered or a bit of excitement or enthusiasm might have been kind of building external factors come in and just pull the rug from under Everton's feet as they did in there because it's, you know, for for no fault of their own, all of a sudden, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world comes in for their former manager and can can offer him everything that they did. And, you know, there's not really much Everton can do about that. No, that's, that's a, a fair point. Um, but I've been to Goodison Park numerous times and when the crowd get behind behind them, you know, it's it's an electric an electric place to be. Mm. So I'm guessing 
for someone like Everton playing behind closed doors probably affected you as much as anyone. Yeah, I think so. I think so, and particularly with, with with the players that were there as well. You know, there was an opportunity there for for real scent, real buzz of excitement. Bearing in mind what was happening on the pitch, and you know, with the you know, the players that were there and the type of football that was being played to a certain extent, and just having Carlo Ancelotti there in in, in the dugout, and obviously it was a side that wasn't able to benefit from that, and a fan base that wasn't able to have the privilege of seeing that up close and personal. Yeah. So talking about managers and and like how unlucky you've been in recent years. Um, our current manager, Marco Silva, managed you for a brief time. He's in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the general feeling towards him from an Everton point of view? Um, yeah, I think, I think there's goodwill towards towards him. Obviously, you know, one of the things I've alluded to, you know, in, in answer a minute ago is, is how Everton have just chopped and changed and chopped and changed. And obviously some decisions have been you know, made at the right time. Some have been, you know, made, you know, perhaps uh, the wrong times or being forced upon the club and things like that. So, you know, it's 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 been a, an intriguing time. But I think I think the general consensus is that there's there's goodwill towards towards Marco Silva, and I think people, obviously, unless he you know does it at Evans' expense, uh, you know, <laughs> were pleased to see him do well last season, um, and obviously get you know get full and promoted. Yeah, because he does have this track record of starting up the season well. And then towards the back end of the season, especially in the Premier League, his mm. teams tend to tail off a little bit. Yeah, um, it can be a little bit like that. Because he did finish eighth, was it, mm. in his first full season yeah. um, with you. And then he sort of got sacked because the team wasn't doing as well. Mm. Um, but since he's joined us, we have no complaints, <laughs> as yeah. I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> he's won us the league. We're currently sitting seventh. Um, one place above uh, the team across Stanley Park. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, things are going really well for us at the minute. So yeah. from a, a Fulham point of view, Saturday is going to be a, a really good game to watch. Um, but talking a bit more about Everton's squad now, you know, in the summer, as we briefly touched on, you know, you've signed the likes of Tarkovsky, uh, McNeil, and one that I was impressed with and one that I was sort of a bit, jealous that we never went in for was Connor Cody. Mm-hmm. I think I still think he's a top, top defender um, and a real character to have within this within the squad. Um, what was your thoughts when someone like Connor Cody does come into your defence? Because I know that was one area which Everton have struggled with because Yeremina, who's in my opinion a top defender, can't stay fit. Mm-hmm. Um, what what have you made of your summer window in general? The summer window was a very good window for everything. It, it, the, where, where it was probably a little bit frustrating is the fact that a lot of the business ended up being done quite late on. Um, you know, there, there, were, there were two problems. What, one is the the transfer window seeped so far into the actual season that I think I think we were five games in by the time that it was concluded. Hmm. So the squads in this is the same for everybody, of course, but squads don't really settle down until that point. Um, so there wasn't really as much of a run up into this into the into the season with the fresh squad that, you know, to get them on the training ground and drilling ideas into them, getting to work together that they might have been in a normal season. So, so that, that was a, you know, a, a frustrating element of it, but um, the other one, and yeah, this was, this is a real setback for everyone. And we've been really, we, we won't know, but it'd be really interesting to have known what would have happened if this hadn't, it was the injury to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, I think when, when Frank Lampard approached the summer transfer window, the reality was, 
you know, I don't think this is controversial, bearing in mind how they did last season. He had problems to fix in defence, in midfield and up front. Mm. And, you know, he fixed them largely in defence and he has had a good go at fixing them in midfield as well, where he didn't really make too much progress. And certainly not until they signed Neil Mope late on was was addressing the, the forward line, which is probably lacking even before the sale of Richarlison, who was obviously the, the towers man for for so much of, of, of the back end of last season. But Dominic Calvert-Lewin looked great over over the summer. You know, he's, he'd had a season which had pretty much been wiped out by injury. Um, and the fear was whether he'd come back from that. But in, in fairness to him, he came back from pre-season in great shape, looked in really good nick throughout pre-season. And you can kind of understand why, to a certain extent, Lampard might have gone. Lampard I spoke about this afterwards. His for him, he wanted to make the side more resolute, more robust, and have like a, a solid core to build on before then adding things elsewhere. And with Calvert Lewin's track record of goals and with the physical condition he seemed to be in in the summer, you know, I think you can kind of understand a little bit why they might have gone, okay, that's something that we can maybe wait for until the next window to address. Um, okay, we might be you're head, you're gambling a little bit on his fitness, but everything's there to suggest that this is going to go okay. And he picks up a freak knee injury on the eve of the first game of the season, gets ruled out for you know until the international break, and all of a sudden Everton have lost their focal points. So yeah, that that really undermined their efforts. And, and you know, we saw at the weekend it was only a second start since he came back from injury, but it was the first time that he looked like he was on it. And, um, you know, he was brilliant. And then his goal, both in his effort, his determination to win the ball back and then the, the touch that takes him past um, Mark Leahy, you know, was, was absolutely phenomenal. And just everything that Everton had been missing since the start of the season. Uh, I mean, with, with Connor Cody, it kind of, I mean, it did come out of the blue. I don't think anybody really saw him as someone that Wolves would sensibly want to get rid of. I think that's probably us looking from the outside within, because I think internally there are a few issues going on. I think Bruno Lager changed style from a five at the back to four at the back, spent 20-odd million pounds on Nathan Collins, and it looked like he was you know, pushing Cody out, certainly at the start in 11, with the belief that he couldn't play in a 4-4-2. Now, I mean... What seems confusing to me is the fact that Connor Cody is clearly such a top professional that, you know, if you can keep him on board and if you can keep him on board, even if he's not in your first 11, you want him there in the dressing room. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, they were happy to let him go. Now, Everton's director of football, Kevin Falwell, spent a long time at Wolves. Um, so knows Connor Cody through, through that, through, through his time there. So maybe he got wind of him being you know, potentially being available ahead of anybody else because you know, like you say I think a lot of teams will quite happily have have Connor Cody um, but it meant Everton got a head start there and it was quite it's quite useful because Everton have got a lot of centre-backs and the issue at the back end of last season they had big problems in their defence but it wasn't with the quality of the players that was available it was with the injuries that they kept on suffering Hmm. Um, which is something that Lampard wanted to address, and that's why he brought Tarkovsky in as his first signing. You know, Tarkovsky hadn't played 30 games plus in the Premier League for each of the last five years. So, you know, Everton started the first game of the season against Chelsea with, with three centre backs Tarkovsky, Mina, and Godfrey. Now, after 70 minutes, Godfrey and Mina were both taken off injured with injuries that have kept them out until now and will continue to keep them out probably up until around the World Cup break. So, they were unfortunate in that respect, but it sounds like you know the the, the moves, the talks of Cody had already started the, a couple of days before, and it just meant that 
you know, that got signed off pretty quickly after the Chelsea game. And Cody just came straight in and was able to slot in. And, you know, it just meant that what killed Everton off last season, losing the likes of Godfrey and Mina to long-term injuries, um, didn't have such an impact this time. Because already brought in Tarkovsky. They'd already made moves to get Cody and, you know, two quality replacements. And what's been interesting is that, you know, since the fifth, since since they played Leeds the last game before the transfer window, Lampard's been a little bit more adventurous and has gone to four at the back. So playing Cody is part of the two, and, and he's been he's been absolutely fantastic. You know, doing everything that it seemed that Wolves didn't think that he could do. So um, it must I, I I don't know many Wolves fans, but I can't imagine they're particularly <laughs> infused by what's happened because obviously you know off on and off the pitch as well. You know, as, as a professional, as a, as a leader within the dressing room, you know the impact of Connor Cody has been phenomenal and instant. So you know he's been a huge sign for Everton. And I think there's a reason why Gareth Southgate picks him for every squad. Now, England aren't blessed with centre-backs, in my opinion. No. You know, we, we don't have fantastic centre-backs that we can pick from six or eight. And you think, right, any one of them can come in and do a job. Now, Conor Cody probably doesn't have the quality as the likes of John Stones, Kyle Walker, even Harry Maguire on a good day. But he's brought in every single you know, international campaign because he is a character. Um but it's good to see that he's doing well for Everton and it's probably no surprise that Wolves are currently sitting, I think it's third from bottom um, and Everton are a few places above them. Mm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how the season plans out. I, for one, like Connor Cody. Um, I hope he does well for Everton. And he's a local lad as well, isn't he? So yes, sure, that's helped smooth things over. I think he was a red though, wasn't he? Well, he, I mean, he, he came through Liverpool's academy. So, but <laughs> I think um, anybody who had their doubts, anybody who had their doubts about where his allegiances now lie, should um, probably. I think they were reassured when he thought he'd scored what would yeah. have been a winner against Liverpool in the derby. A couple of games in, if you see his celebrations before he re- before he ends up getting ruled out for offside, then um, I think it's, it's 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 clear where his commitments now lie. So. <laughs> He just gets it. I think uh, Liverpool as a, as a city, it's very uh, red or blue. Um, as it was, I, I'm from London, so I, I don't know too much. Um, but I do have a soft spot for Everton anyway. Um, I do have a, a huge interest in boxing. And Tony Belly was one of uh, the fighters mm. that I sort of grew to like. Um, and because of his boyhood love with Everton, it's sort of a club that I've sort of kept one eye on, especially when we've been out of the Premier League. Mm. Um, because, again, the ground... The fans, you just can't sort of dislike Everton as a football club, unless obviously you're from Liverpool, you're a Liverpool fan. Um, <laughs> but uh, when we were in a Premier League for 13 years straight from 2001, 2014, this fixture in particular, it was sort of a home win. You know, if mm. you were doing your act on a Saturday, it was a home win, whether it was a Fulham or for Everton. Yeah. How do you see this Saturday planning out in your opinion? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because, I mean, Everton have the potential to be good like they were on, on Saturday, but, you know, it's also a project that's in its infancy. So, um, yeah, they, they do have vulnerabilities and weaknesses as well. And, and I think like a lot of, like a lot of teams in, in the bottom half of the table, it's the consistency that's, that's hard to find and will be crucial as to how well they do. Obviously, Fulham are a side that have found that consistency in recent weeks. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued to be honest. I mean, I've never been to Craven Cottage. It's you know, it's a kind of a bucket list ground. I'm really excited to go for the first time. Um, yeah, really excited. I think, I think the atmosphere will be fantastic. You know, it's a game that Everton 
I don't think there's any need for Everton to approach the game with any fear, but mm. they, they do need to obviously be, be wary. Everton are a side that haven't travelled particularly well over the past 18 months. Um, they got, they've been better this season than they were last season. You know, they picked up useful draws at, at Brentford, at Leeds, and, and they won at Southampton as well. Um, but they have just come. They have just lost the last two away games at Spurs and at Newcastle. Spurs they played well, Everton. To be honest, and, and really, you know, they they lost. I mean, they went one 0 down at Spurs to a Harry Kane penalty after the on the hour mark, and it was. It was I think it was a penalty, but it was a very soft penalty. And before that, Everton had to the two best chances of the game. They, you know, they had to miss two one ones, put them both over the bar. It could have been a different story if it wasn't for that. And Newcastle they didn't really. They didn't really lay a, a, a blow on them at, at, at all. They just got out fought, really out fought, and and then done by game management. So uh, I'm intrigued. Cause I haven't watched a lot of Fulham, um, and I think probably the the lazy the lazy perspective from the outside would be that Fulham's success is largely dependent on on, on Mitrovic. Um, I don't know. Is is that right, or is that just completely uh, misguided? And actually, there's you know there's a, a really entertaining, fully functioning side behind him as well that would probably still get results even without him. I wouldn't call it a, a lazy view. I'd call mm. it a, a logical view because he scored nine goals this season. You know, he is our vocal point, and mm. if, if we win games, he's on the score sheet more, more times yeah. than not. But Marcus Silva's got this team together where you know you've got the likes of Paulinia, who I. I can't see in a Fulham shirt next season. I think he's phenomenal. And I think Uh you'll see that on Saturday. But you've also got Andreas Pereira, who we signed from Man United, who's been fantastic. You've got Willian, who's just slotted in and is just producing fantastic performances. Uh, Harrison Reed, Cabano or Harry Wilson. We have a a squad now that can compete. Mm -hmm. And our, our home form this season in particular, we've only lost one one home game and I was against Newcastle. Yeah. And we had, we was down to 10 men after six minutes. Chalaba made a silly tackle. Yes. Um, so, you know, we, we also with Paulinho, we've only lost two games when he's actually been in the starting lineup, And that was a way right. to, to Arsenal and Tottenham. So I do expect us to start quick. Um, I do think there'll be goals because um, mm-hmm. for some reason we can't seem to keep clean sheets. I know <laughs> we kept one against Villa, but that was a, an exception. But I think if we start early and score early, I think that's that's how we win the game. I think yeah. the, the longer it stays nil-nil and Everton can get a foothold in the game with the likes of Anthony Gordon, um, McNeil, you know, Mopai, Calvert-Lewin, it will be an entertaining game. But as you know, yeah. I've been to the cottage before, I'm pretty sure it was the same architect that designed Craven Cottage and Goodison right. Park. Yeah. Um, and it'll be like home from home. It's, it's a lovely stadium. <laughs> Um, and it's a lovely walk through Bishop's Park if you're coming through from Putney. Right, OK. But no, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Um, hopefully not in too much, the game itself. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to ask you for a math prediction. What do you think the score yeah. will be? I mean, like, I'm just going to go on my rose-tinted spectacles and say that Dominic Calvert-Lewin's completely overhauled this uh, Evan side. <laughs> They're going to get a 2-1 win, um, <laughs> which won't go down well with your listeners. But like, <laughs> I, I've, I've got to be positive for my own uh, for, for my own base support. So, no, You've got to. Um, and, so, you know, Everton could come and, and win. You know, there's, there's nothing to say that Everton can't win. I think Frank Lampard's only visit to Craven Cottage actually ended in a, a 1-0 win when he was manager of Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
he has a hundred percent track record at the cottage. Hopefully that goes down to fifty percent after <laughs> we play on Saturday. But look, ultimately at this moment in time, I think there's not too much difference between the two squads. Obviously, Everton are a much bigger club, and you know the longevity of the two clubs, Everton will always be probably ahead of Fulham. But at this moment in time, confidence is flowing in both camps. So it is a half five kickoff as well. So you know, I'm hoping it should be a. Is Craven Cottage under the lights a uh, you know a tantalising prospect? It, it has been this season, yeah, um, and it, it is in most seasons to be fair. But I'm just hoping we can just a, just for a good game. Yeah, and they always generally are between Fulham and Everton. I can't remember too many drab nil nil draws or games where you think, oh, that was awful. Mm. Um, but you're going to go for two one win. I will leave my prediction for. Um, the match preview, which we record on a Thursday. Oh, but... wow. <laughs> You've absolutely sold me out there. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do it now. Let's just let's just throw it in there. I'm going to go for a 3-1 win. Um, and that's on the basis that we score early. I okay. Think if the game's still nil-nil after 30 minutes, I can see it being a 1-0 win either way. Um, I'm yeah. going to sit on the fence there. Um so though we've been playing really good football, I do think with the likes of Connor Cody, Tarkovsky um, and Lampard's tactics in general, I think it could it could be a frustrating afternoon for us. Mm-hmm. With the likes of the pace you've got of Gordon and Iwobi and a few others, there's a good chance you, you're going to be dangerous on a counter-attack. Yeah, they're, they're, they're an interesting side at the minute, Everton, you know, because you know, when things click, they are dangerous. And, but at the minute, because... As I say, it's it's very early stages of the of the wider Frank Lampard project and rebuild of the side, picking the side up from where it was last season. You know, it doesn't always click, and and when it doesn't, it can become quite quite a difficult watch. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. I, I like the sound of a difficult watch um, from an Everton <laughs> point of view. So I'm glad we're going to end the podcast on that. <laughs> um, Joe, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I do appreciate you taking your time out to to speak to us on the Green Pole. And I hope you have a safe trip down to Craven Cottage on Saturday. Um, you'll have a great time. I'm sure you will. But hopefully by 7.20, 7.25, you're walking out the ground. Very disappointed. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on and good luck for the season. Thanks, Joe. Cheers. <laughs>